How are we doing? So uh, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, why don't you flip with me to the first Kings? Uh, and I'll give you the title. I'll tell you a wee bit of the background of this message. The title is this, um, The Spirit of Elijah in an Age of Jezebel. Um, I, was, I was listening to a message. Um, sorry, I got my notes sorted here. Um, I was listening to a message about a week ago, and it was one of those where just something clicked and a whole bunch of stuff came together in my head. And I went, oh, that's, that's interesting. Um, and uh, I, I started to get the message I felt for, for this Sunday. Um, and uh, I, so I intentionally turned it off, actually, just to try and not like, I've drawn a bit from it, but I've tried to not sort of, don't want to just imitate someone else's message or, or fight using someone else's armor. Um, but it was one of those where the message kind of arrives intact, uh, rather than doing a lot of digging. It was like, okay, this is the message. This is what we're going after. And uh, I'm trying to, going to really try and get the tone right. I'd ask for grace on it, uh, but it is a challenging one. Um, and so appreciate uh, being prayed for there. Um, yeah. Yeah, really, really do. Um, so uh, most of you know we, we had a, a, a son, uh, our second son, Caden, about five months ago, five and a half months ago. I like to tell Danny he's our second of seven. Uh, she disagrees. Um, but uh, he's, he's gotten to that stage in life now where you can play peekaboo with him, you know. Uh, so so uh, very exciting for, for us and for him. He's all this banter, uh, loves doing that. And the reason why that works really well for babies uh, is that they don't have this thing called object permanence, right? Object permanence is this idea that uh, that um, develops, or you, you start to understand this as you get older, but babies don't understand it, where when you can't see something, it doesn't mean it isn't there. When, when you play peekaboo with a baby, when they can't see you, they think you have you know, flipped out of time and space. They're like, what wizardry is this? You are a magician. Oh, wow, you're back. Fantastic. There you go. Oh, my goodness, you've gone again. You know, that's how babies view it. And all the while, you're just, you're just doing this, right? Um, and as grown-ups, thankfully, you know, we, we know that there are things that we can't see that are still there, right? Some of you have such poor eyesight. That's very necessary, okay? Yes. Uh, you know, some of you, you need, to, you need to be able to see, or you need to know that it's there because you don't always see it. But I think one area where we fail in doing this, one area where we struggle with this is, is in the spiritual realm, uh, particularly when it comes to the enemy. Uh, over the last few hundred years, we, we've had the Enlightenment, we've had scientific um, advancement, all of that. And, and one of the things that uh, I think the enemy has, has recognized in that time period is that he's very often able to accomplish his goals better by being hidden and being in the background. By, by, you know, working through the ideologies rather than trying to sort of manifest himself openly. Uh, there's a very famous phrase which says, you know, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was uh, convincing the world that he did not exist. And I think things are getting more explicit perhaps today than they have been. But, but the reality is that, um, you know, today as Christians in, in our world, uh, we want to appear reasonable and nice and thoughtful and, and not unintelligent and respectable and all of these things. And so we'll often look at what's going on around us and we'll go, oh, well, that's like natural forces. That's, you know, the, the, the trends and the ideologies of the age. And we'll try and tie everything to that. <clears throat> and, and we'll be reluctant to say, well, there might be something demonic. There might be something underlying that. And I just want to say at the start, look, it doesn't mean that there aren't societal forces. It doesn't mean those things aren't real. But very often... And we see this throughout the Bible, we see the enemy at work. That idea that this is just simply natural forces is not true. The Bible is very, very clear that there is a spiritual battle going on. 
There is, there is a fight going on right now in the heavenlies. Amen? Right? We know that. We know that as the people of God, that demons are real, that Satan is real, that the enemy is real. The Bible warns us that he is going around like a roaring lion looking for who he can devour. And, and right now, I believe in our world, in our time, he is devouring a lot of lives. And, and one of the issues and one of the things that, that happens when we misdiagnose this as purely natural, when we think of things in purely naturalistic terms, one of the problems with that is that we only fight it in natural ways. And, and you cannot defeat the supernatural with merely the natural. You can't just take on the enemy. You can't fire a gun at the enemy and hit him. It's not how it works. And, and, and just because something has natural forces or natural implications does not mean that we can simply fight it there. If we do that, we will fail. We will fail in spiritual warfare if we only fight it in the natural. So we need to recognize that a lot of those things that we think are, are natural, they are actually the symptom and not the root. And the underlying a lot of those things is the enemy himself. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. And the Bible commands us to be alert for, for the devil. And so that's what I hope. I hope that today is kind of like a, a, a peekaboo message. It is an eye-opening message. It's where, where we recognize, oh, we didn't think that there was something happening there, but we realize that there is something happening there uh, and that we get to see that and we fight it appropriately, that we as the people of God recognize that the enemy is at work and yet we have power and we have victory over him. Jesus has overcome him. Yes, amen. Yes. So... We are in, we're in a place in the world, particularly the Western world, where there seems to be fierce assault. Uh, and, and it's coming against families, it's coming against the church. Uh, and, and I think there's a demonic element to it. And in particular, I think it goes back to a, a Jezebel spirit. Um, and this is, this is where we get into the difficult stuff. But let's read in 1 Kings chapter 16. And it'll come up on the screen as well. But 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 31 to 32. Uh, this is talking about Ahab, King Ahab. It says, He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings before him. So uh, in order to, to kind of understand what I'm talking about, we need to understand um, what, what was going on with this Baal worship, this, because that's the key issue, right? The key thing was they started to worship these false gods, Baal and Asherah. Uh, Jezebel was a very committed Baal worshiper. Her uh, father was called Ethbaal, which literally means for Baal, right? And, and, and so to understand this worship, we need to understand the worldview behind it, um, Paganism is ultimately at, at its core, at its root. It's, it's demon worship. And the Apostle Paul tells us this when you offer sacrifices to idols, the pagans, they, they worship demons. And how did demons come about? How did we end up with demons in the world today? Well, very simple. We, we, we know the story that the devil said, I want to ascend to the throne of God. I want to be like God. Uh, and that is how he was cast out from heaven and cast down to earth. And then when, he, when he's on, here, on earth, he tries to get mankind to do the same thing. You want to be like God. We want to erase the distinction between God and man. And that is the center of this pagan worldview, this Baal worship, this Jezebel spirit. What it is going after is this erasure of distinction, this erasure of the distinction between God and man. 
And uh, we see very clearly in the Bible that distinction, that binary idea is clear. Uh, Creator, creation, sun, moon, light, dark, man, woman, all of those things. That is a, a core distinction that God puts in there and it reflects God and us. Um, but pagan worship at its very core uh, and, and Baal worship and the spirit of Jezebel at its very core is all about erasing the distinction between God and man, between everything. It's all one. Everything is one. It is not different. There is no distinction uh, and there is no difference. It is anti-binary in every area. And uh, so, so, so what we see, and this is very interesting, we see this in pagan practices, wherever they're found, whatever their root is, whatever kind of names they have, they have some key elements to their practice. Number one is this, that uh, they had rituals where men would dress as women, and uh, they would perform what essentially were, were drag shows for, for all ages. That, that was a key element of that worship. And it would culminate in the ultimate sacrament of that worship was then copulation, was, was men and women coming together. And often it was very often, and usually actually it was same gender. Okay, It was two people of the same gender. It was erasing the male-female distinction. That is at the core of this Jezebel spirit. It is what it's going after and what this Jezebel spirit brought into Israel. And I think we can see how that is happening in our world today. Yeah, like we, we can see that that is going on, that there is a rejection. We talk about terms like non-binary and, and transgender and same sex. And I would argue that that is probably the most um, powerful religious movement going on in the Western world right now. Uh, there is no doubt, actually, statistically, that, that we are in a very, very strange time. Uh, if we divide up the different sort of generations, you look at the, the baby boomers, so born after World War II until about 1960, uh, and, and the, the ones that follow them, the, the Gen Xers who were born between 1960 and 1980, about 1% to 2% of that generation would have identified as being LGBT, right? That would have been the, uh, the, the rough percentage. Uh, millennials, so 1980 through to about the mid-90s, people born in that era, it's about 11%. And for Gen Z, Gen Z, Americans don't speak English properly, so they call it Gen Z, uh, but uh, Gen Z, um, it's about 20%. 20% are saying that they are LGBT. And um, the reality is that, that it's not possible for 20% of a society to be born merely that way. I'm not saying there would be no one but the, the, it is not possible for us to, to genetically pass on our lineage uh, if 20% of the society acts and engages in a way that does not reproduce. It is not merely a natural thing. How, how it is possible, how that exponential growth could be possible is through manipulation and through seduction into this and ultimately a spiritual force behind it. Um, and that is exactly what has happened. Uh, we, we look around and we see pride Pride is literally the original sin. It's named after that. It is, 
uh, we see these things like, you know, drag queens. So I don't want to get into all of it. don't want to honor the devil. But we see these things where there's, there's, there's a car- men dressing as women, and not just as women, but in a caricatured, provocative way, performing for minors. We, we, we see the, this massive erasure of distinction. And everybody's saying, well, biological men can have children. And, and, and we want to advertise things to women. So we're going to get men who are thinking that they are women. And, and we're, it's, it's not just one or two. This is everywhere. This is, I mean, literally last week there was a man who won a Woman of Courage Award. You know, like it just feels unusual. There's men advertising tampons, which men don't need. Like, you know, it's just, this is literally what is happening. One, one of the biggest sort of trans TikTokers has the handle at the real Asherah, this very God. It's spiritual. It is spiritual. And what makes it really different is this. See, young people have always had what they call social contagion. Um, There's always been trends, destructive, self-destructive trends amongst teenage groups. That's that's been around for a long time, Uh, and historically we would have had things like eating disorders. And and I'm not saying those have disappeared, but but there was there were there was a sense in which they they actually had a big rise and fall. There was a trend of doing that and self-harm. Um, and those things have waned away a bit, you know, not, again, not entirely, but they, they've diminished. So, so it wasn't a permanent thing. It was like a big social contagion is the term for it. What's different between the current thing and, and the current trend and the historical ones is that the grown-ups are the ones that are pushing it. That's, that's what's really the, the, the difference here. You imagine uh, back in the day if, if there was a, a girl struggling with, with anorexia and she's demonstrably very thin, very underweight, and uh, she went into the doctor and they said, well, look, we're going to give you anorexia-confirming care or anorexia-affirming care. And by that, what we mean is we're going to put you on a diet plan and liposuction. We, we would go, that's, that's horrific. You know, it doesn't, and they would go, well, it doesn't matter what your body says. It doesn't matter what your physical body says. If you believe that, then you are that. And we must affirm that. And everybody else must affirm that. And if they don't affirm that, then they are wrong. And what your mind says is right and yet, that is exactly what we're seeing when it comes to these issues. It's the adults who are going, yes, well, let's affirm that. Let's remove healthy organs. Let's, let's, let's mutilate bodies. Let's give the same drugs that we would give to criminals to castrate them and call them puberty blockers and give them to minors, often without parental consent. And, and, and there's a lie behind it. And they say, they say to parents, if, if they come in with a, with a daughter, uh, who, who is genuinely a daughter, and they say, well, would you rather have a dead daughter or a living son? They say they're going to kill themselves. It's manipulation, because it's not true. The, 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 uh, the affirming uh, care, as they call it, does not lower the suicide rates, self-harm rates, the depression rates at all. It does not do it. And, and, and why am I talking about this? Why, why, well, firstly, as I said, it is spiritual, and, and it's, it was the core of this spirit. But at the same time, the reason why we're talking about it is because we actually love these people. Like, like we do. I, I read, it was about a year ago, I read probably the, the book that was one of the most heartbreaking and, and also made me angry. Um, it was called Irreversible Damage. It was by a, a left-wing, um, no, so not, not far left, but, but center-left, reasonable journalist, not a Christian at all, wouldn't agree with me on a lot of stuff, but researching this movement and what was happening. And the stories are just soul-destroying of what's going on. 
children being coaxed into this, encouraged into this, taught to act out in this way, told that if their parents don't immediately go along with everything, that they should go no contact, cut off your parents, find a new community here. And, and it's preying on the most vulnerable. It, it really is. Um, 82% of people who, who consider themselves transgender uh, have contemplated suicide. 40% have attempted it which is about eight times the, the national average. Um, they're often, they're six times more likely to be autistic. They're often from very troubled backgrounds and have, have a hard time in life in general. And these are the people that are getting preyed on by this movement. And, and as Christians, we are for these people. Like we, we, like we, we love people. We care about them. And what we don't want is for people to be told to destroy themselves and, and, and to end up going through with that. Because it is destructive. God, God is, the Bible is clear. You, you were not born in the wrong body. You were born in the body that God gave you. You were knit together in your mother's womb. He was there forming you, every part of you. Every last bit, he formed that, he made that, he loves that. And he has died to make that a temple of his spirit. Your body is sacred, your body is loved by Jesus. And the people that are being told that this is the way, they need to be told, no, that's not the way. That is not the truth. That is not what God has for you. Jesus loves you and whatever hole you have in your life, that is the thing that is meant to fill it. The love and the goodness of Jesus Christ his body was mutilated on the cross so that yours would not need to be. He gave his body for your body as well as your soul. He has given it for that. And so this is what we see with this spirit and we see it very much in our world today. This Jezebel spirit is raising the distinction between male and female and it is destructive as a result. Now, one of the things, give a couple other things that it does before we look at where we go with this, but uh, one of the things that, that this spirit strongly, uh, that one of the things that can oppose this spirit is, is strong men, uh, good men. Uh, good men, regardless of, of um, their faith, good men will not allow this to happen to their children. Uh, they will not accept that. But one of the things that the Jezebel spirit does then is it emasculates men. Second uh, Kings 9.32 tells us uh, that there were eunuchs around Jezebel. This is the first time we see eunuchs, men who have uh, been castrated. Um, that, 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 that is one of the things that Jezebel will surround herself with. She will also, uh, if we look at the relationship dynamic between her and Ahab, it is very much Jezebel who is the dominant character. Uh, she is the one doing the killing. It is her religion that they adopt. She is the one that sends the threats to Elijah. She's the one who takes Naboth's vineyard later on in the story, if you know that. Um, one writer said this, he wore the crown, she wore the trousers. Uh, there's, a, there's a Meghan Markle joke in there, but we'll not make it. Um, <clears throat> but what, one of the things we see in our day is that strong men are not viewed well. They're not considered 
well, you know, as, as a positive thing, we, we hear these phrases, smash the patriarchy and toxic masculinity. Uh, and don't get me wrong, there, there is a sense in which that we can, men can definitely be toxic and domineering. Like that's, that's not untrue. But, but the target of that is not gangs of criminal men and it's not men who are, you know, having children with multiple women and then not taking care of them. That's not the toxic masculinity. It's men who take initiative. It's men who are strong, who take responsibility, who are productive and ambitious and bold and all of the things that God has called men to be. And a Jezebel spirit wants to smash that. The Jezebel spirit considers that to be toxic. And a Jezebel spirit will do everything to ensure that good men do not stand up, that good men do not say no, that good men do not put a stop to it. And wants to manipulate good men into denying masculinity because masculinity is a bulwark against it. And it latches on, the spirit latches on to, to Ahab's. Ahab is a weak man. Um, the reason Ahab marries this uh, foreign princess um, was for political clout. She, you know, it was to, to get ahead. It was to advance himself in the culture. And this is exactly what we see uh, in our day, that, that we will often find people who will sell out the kingdom of God for cultural capital. Uh, I, I was having a conversation with... Uh, it was actually the fastest growing church. This is the circles I move in, everybody, okay? <laughs> fastest growing church in America. Uh, they were at a conference here in Ireland that I was involved in, in sort of running it behind the scenes. I got chatting to, to the uh, pastor's couple. It was a, a couple, and it was got chatting to the wife. And, she, and we somehow got talking about this issue. I don't remember how. But she said, yeah, we get phone calls all the time. Um, you know, asking us, what's your stance on, on sexuality and all of these things? And she says, we just say, and we've always said, oh, we won't deal with that. We, we, we don't talk about that. And she said to me these words, she said, if you talk about that, you can give up on church growth. And I just went, oh, like, are we really willing to sell out the word of God for popularity and growth? Like, the, the, people are, you know, I lo- I'm really encouraged by the fact that there's people shaking their hands. But, but, but we do this. People do this all the time. And the Jezebel spirit, I believe, has success very often, not because of, of evil men, but weak men. Not, you know, it's, it's weakness, it's silence, it's giving in to the Twitter mob, it's giving in to the political pressure. I heard that the government pressured, it came out in the news, uh, the government had pressured the Archbishop of Canterbury when it came to this same-sex issue in the Church of England. Uh, and to go... And he, he, he went out and he said, well, you know, I'm not going to do what God says to do, but he's gone straight out and done pretty much what the government said to do. You know, like that's what he's done. That's like the, the man who said, you know, my, my wife is very bossy. The other day she told me not to be a flamingo anymore, so I had to put my foot down. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of what we're seeing. <clears throat> and it's often not a Jezebel spirit in those places. It's often the Ahab spirit, but the Jezebel will get in and control it. And, and the next thing that, that it will do is this. If we read in Revelation 20, and, and we'll, we'll tie it back in, but this is another place where, where Je- the Jezebel spirit comes in. Sorry, 2 verse 20 to 21, it says this. Nonetheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Um, what we had here in, in, in Revelation 2 was was a possibly an individual, may may have been a group, not entirely sure, different opinions on it, doesn't really matter. But there are people or a person acting in a way that was reminiscent of Jezebel. She probably wasn't called Jezebel. People knew who Jezebel was. That would have been like calling your your little bouncing boy Adolf, you know, just not, you know, here's little Chairman Mao, everybody, you know, let let, meet him. Um, 
So it wasn't, well, she wasn't really called Jezebel, but, um, but and what's interesting, and, and again, this is what happens in, in the, the first Kings account, is uh, the, the worship of God is permitted, you know, but it will syncretize with it. This, this Jezebel spirit, this, this woman or these people were uh, part of the church. They were engaging with the church. They were not saying they're not Christians, they're claiming to be Christians, and Jezebel did not outlaw the worship of Yahweh. She simply added the worship of Baal. That was what was going on. And I think one of the reasons why the church has misunderstood this is because it syncretizes with Christianity. That's the attempt. Um, so, so, so we notice this whole movement is cloaked in Christian language. It talks about the marginalized. You know, it talks about, and not meaning people who have necessarily been wronged, but who, who are, are struggling because they live in a way that's contrary to a flourishing lifestyle. It talks about justice, biblical concept, misapplied. It talks about love when it does not mean love. And we see this syncretism everywhere. We see it in, in, in our churches. We see it in, in uh, our society. We see it uh, all over the place where, where there are shows and demonstrations and flags and symbology and teaching from Christian churches saying that this is what we need to have and this is what we need to do. Again, the Church of England, not meaning to pick on them by any means, but you know, there's talk recently about, well, let's call God uh, she, her, or they, them. Let's use those pronouns for God, which, which is a remarkable thought because they, you know, we read the Bible, God refers to himself as he, him. And they're big into respecting everybody's chosen pronouns, except for God's, interestingly. You know, like that's, that's the thing. And it demands tolerance. The Spirit will ask for tolerance. What does Jesus have against the church in Thyatira in Revelation 2? They tolerate this Spirit. They, they allow it a place. Um, and Jesus, Jesus does not say, oh, well, what's bigger than us is what is, or what unites us is bigger than what divides us. He goes, no, 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 you can't, you can't have that. You can't accept that. You can't say that that is Christian. And I think often tolerance, the way it's currently used anyway, is, is a perversion of true Christian love. Because of course we want to be loving. Of course we want to be kind. But also, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. Love knows the difference between good and evil. And it demands tolerance on one side and then it rejects it on the other. So 1 Kings 18.4 says, Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets. So tolerance one way, no tolerance the other way. And I don't know if many of you may have heard about the Church of England chaplain. He was in a, in a Church of England school. And they had a group come in, and, and they were, um, this, is, this happened about a year ago, they were putting some pretty radical stuff in there. They were getting the staff to chant, you know, smash heteronormativity in the training sessions. That's pretty out there. And he, he got asked by the students, like, what do you think? And so he, he shared at their chapel service, he shared, look, just keep an open mind. You don't have to go along with everything. And for saying that, what happened to him was he was suspended, he was then fired, and he was referred to the terrorist watchdog right? Go tolerance, right? You know, like tolerance one way, not the other. And so, and so that's, that's where we're at. That is what this spirit is up to. That is what this Jezebel spirit is doing. It is very much on the march and it has in its sights children and men in the church. You know, I'm not saying it doesn't have the women included, but you know, it has some, some key areas that it's targeting and the people in power appear to be either Jezebels or Ahab and the Western world is pretty much coming to an end other than that things are fine you know like that's that's where it seems to be 
whatever the opposite of a church growth strategy, this message is it, okay? But here's the thing. It's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. I need to keep an eye on time here, but we need to go further and say, the good thing is that there is power in the people of God to overcome. There is power among the people of God to overcome. It is not the end of the story. We're told in 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Uh, I, I don't know how many of you uh, reading your Bible have come across Tishba anywhere else other than here. You haven't, is the answer, okay? Like, you haven't. It, it, Elijah came from a place that was absolutely out of nowhere. It would be remiss of me at this point to not talk about Arsenal's stunning comeback win last Sunday. 2-0 uh, down, conceded after nine seconds. Bournemouth got a second goal. A desperate situation. And then, out of nowhere, everybody, out of nowhere, Reese Nelson, who exactly, just like Elijah, okay, scores the winning goal in the 97th minute, all seven minutes correctly added, by the way, I might add, and any Spurs fans in the room can keep their mouths shut, okay? But here's the thing, what, what does that have to do with the sermon? Well, it shows that God sends victory to his anointed, his righteous, his chosen Arsenal fans, amen, yes? No, but here's the thing, God will send victory out of nowhere. Tishba is not on the map. Tishba is, no one knows where it is, people guess, but they don't really know. Elijah has no clout, he is not a known person, he is not in the palace, he is not in the temple, he is not a known figure at all, he is a wild man dressed in wild clothes, he is not cool, he's not Hollywood, he's not Westminster, he's not DC, he's not Davos, he's none of those things, he is not situated for success, there's no Twitter following, no political sway, but what he does have is this, he has the power of God. He has the power of the living God on his side. That is what an Elijah spirit has. And, and I believe in this time and in this generation, when we are in a world that is chasing political capital and cultural capital and selling the kingdom out to get ahead, we need people who are making their mission to be people who get the power of God who say that in this time, that is what we need above all else. Do you know what? It does not matter whatever the worldly path is to success. What is God's path to victory? What is the path that God has given us? I wonder if there's people in this room today and you hear that and you've heard what we've talked about and it stirs your soul. And instead of going, well, how do we organize and how do we vote? And I'm not saying, you know, again, natural, the natural is important. It's not absent. But ultimately, what we need is a people who go, do you know what? We need to get after the power of God once again in the church. We need to have the power of God in the church. And specifically this, we need to have a church that takes up the prophetic mantle in our generation once again. We need to have a church that we can come from an insignificant place. Craig Avon, Northern Ireland, okay? They've never heard about that in the halls of Washington. They don't know where that is in Westminster, okay? I can tell you that. But if there's a people of God who would come from a place like this and say, do you know what? You might not know who we are, but the God of heaven does. And that's all that matters. We need the church to take up that mantle once again. I think in different eras and different times, the church, God often puts different emphases on the church. Uh, and, and, you know, we've had eras of real evangelism and eras of real apostolic, you know, church planting and eras of real teaching. And I think in our time, in our generation, in our society, we need the prophetic. We need the prophetic once again. 
And, and I don't just mean individual prophecy, although yes, but prophecy that does this, because this is what the prophet Elijah did. It stands up against the spiritual forces, the powers and principalities, and says, Do you know what? You're impotent. You have no power. That's what Elijah does here. Interestingly, Baal was the God who gave dew and rain. And so what does God say that it will not have, or that the nation will not have dew nor rain? It will not have that. He's also known, Baal, as the the God of storms. So when fire comes down from heaven, it was like the ultimate storm from on high. And then an actual storm, a flood of rain comes after that. That needs to be one of the key elements in the mission of the church at this time. Elijah did not say, look, I'm just going to keep out of the culture wars. He, he didn't do that. I, I, this message, I'm sure, if it, if, depending on who hears it, but there would be people that would criticize it and go, well, why are you, why are you waiting into a culture war? Surely you just preach the gospel. Well, firstly, I believe it's part of the gospel, but secondly, sometimes you can't stay out. In the 1930s, you know, Adolf Hitler in Germany, and you know, he starts annexing parts of Czechoslovakia. Uh, and Neville Chamberlain, the, the British Prime Minister, goes over there to make peace and they sign the Munich Accords in 1938 and he comes back from his plane, he's waving his little bit of paper and he's going, look, peace in our time, peace in our time. Isn't that wonderful? And of course, we all know what happened next, you know. Hitler, man of integrity, true to his word, you know, six years of wonderful peace. Someone's going to clip that out of this message, by the way, and that'll go viral. Um, no, obviously not. He, he, th- that is not what happened. That war was coming regardless. Churchill at the time when that happened said this. Uh, he said, you were given the choice between war and dishonor. You chose dishonor and you will have war. So sometimes, you know, you go, oh, well, we can sell ourselves out and we'll avoid it. But no, no, no. The reality is sometimes you sell yourself out and you still can't avoid the conflict. The conflict is coming. You can't say no war when there's an invasion. You, just, you can't just go, hey, hey, let's de-escalate. You go, no, it's this far and no further. And so, and so why are we in a culture where, well, let me say, let me say this. We, we, as the church, are teaching the Bible, serving the poor, loving people, praying for people, baptizing, teaching, raising families, building businesses, all of the stuff that we do, working hard, having jobs, providing. And then out of nowhere, people came along and said, there's no male and female and we don't need marriage. And you know what? You, you can become whatever you like and you can switch from one to the other and let's give drugs to children and let's tell them that this is okay and let's perform in front of them and let's have a satanic mass at the Grammys. You tell me why we're in a culture war. Was it, you know, that, 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 the war has come and it's not that we want to crush and defeat people, but there is a power and a principality behind it. There is. And we need to take it on as the church. And the mission of the church does include doing this. At the center of culture is cultus. There's the same root, cultus meaning worship. And we are told by Jesus to go and take over the worship, to go and disciple the nations. Now, not in a a forceful way, but using the power of the gospel, using the tools that God has given us, we are called to go into the world and to disciple it and teach it to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. And we are in a cultural conflict and Jesus instigated it. Jesus was the one who said the gates of hell are not going to prevail. He said the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. Jesus was very open about the spiritual war that is raging on. And he is very happy for us to go, do you know what? Yes, we're going to fight. We are going to fight and we're going to win. I believe that. I believe that. I I know people get 
There's different, there's different perspectives on this. But, but I really do believe that there's victory for the church. I really do. I know, I, I, and what happens at the very end, I don't know. But I believe there's a lot of victory to be had. I believe that this gospel will actually be preached as a witness to all the nations. You know, I, I do think that the Holy Spirit has power to actually fulfill the mission that Jesus has given his church. I really believe that. And so when we see things like this, one of the things that I believe is that we are not going to have, I'm trusting, unless it is the very end, but if it is not, if it is not, and it might not be, we've got to be open to the fact that it might not be. People have always believed it's the very end. It might be, but it might not be. And if it is not, then I am trusting God that we will not in this nation have some revival of ancient paganism, but rather we'll have a revival of the eternal spirit of God that we will actually see the Spirit of God through his church do things that we have not seen in a very long time. That, that we will see people who have the power of God. That we will see a church that says, do you know what? We've been quiet. We've put our heads in the sand. We've run away. But now is the time to go and speak to Ahab. Now is the time to take on the prophets of Baal. Now is the time to say, do you know what? Your God is mute and silent and dumb. And our God is powerful. But he's not only powerful, he is good. He is good and he loves the people that are being abused and mistreated underneath this. I believe that we will see a people in our day who are filled with the power of God, filled with purity, people of prayer as Elijah was. And they will pray and God will hear and the heavens will shut, fire will fall and that spirit will be driven back in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe that. I believe that. And that's what I want to leave us with today is that idea that, you know what, in this time, if there's one thing we need, it is to get after the power of God. And there's different ways of doing that. It's the gospel. It is the prophetic. It is the gifts of the spirit. It's service. But ultimately, we need to say, do you know what, God, how are you empowering me? What are you calling me to do? And you need to stand up and we need to have the boldness to do it. Amen. Amen. But let me just say this as well. Um, there's probably some in the room and some watching online and, and you're kind of a, a Gen Z, Gen Z listener. And I just want to throw this out there to that generation. Maybe you're raising kids that are in that generation. You, you have literally every reason in the world not to go along with this. You know, like in the natural. You have every reason in the world to not uh, stand as, as one of the prophets as the people of God in this time. You do. You, you, have a, you have a weight that I don't think any of us, myself very much included, and I'm only a few years older, but that generation has shifted. I don't think we'll understand the weight and the pressure that you're under fully. You, you are under a real attack. But I'll say this, we need some of you to stand up and be Elijah's. We, we need you to do that. You need to get the power of God. You need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You need to be wild men and wild women in your generation. And say, do you know what? We reject the clout. We reject the privilege. We reject the fine clothes in the palaces. We reject that and we're going after God himself. We need you to do that.